Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Hello again, I'm Chris Maxwell, and I'm engaging in conversations with my friend Tracy Reynolds, and this is called Next Step Leadership Podcast. And Next Step um, gives us an opportunity, Tracy, to kind of look out the window and and uh, you know just think of steps we have taken or look the other direction and think, where are we going? And our guest today, uh, again, has just just this depth of wisdom about uh, knowing how to take these next steps the right way and who to be taking these steps mm-hmm. along the way with us. I love that we're having a second conversation with, with Tim Elmore. Uh, Tim is uh, an author who's well-known, but we're really focusing this time on a new kind of diversity, making the different generations on your team a competitive advantage. And in our last podcast, we were talking about um, the beauty of learning to work together uh, with inquiring minds, with appreciative minds, uh, looking to not just build myself, but how can we work together uh, in a complementary fashion to be effective uh, in life and leadership. So welcome back, Tim. Uh, looking forward to diving right back in with you. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Chris. Great to be with you again. We had started uh, talking about some of the things uh, that well, so it can be things that differentiate generations, but it can also be things that we appreciate and the value added by different generations. And in your book, that's one of the things I enjoyed a lot is talking about, okay, well, this generation contributed this in a positive way and starting yeah. out with some of that. So maybe uh, we could start with that platform and move forward for some specifics. Yeah, Absolutely. So in the last episode, we talked a little bit about stereotyping, how that's the easiest thing in the world for anyone to do with other generations, the old toward the young and the young toward the old. But I'm asking what if questions in this book. So what if we saw the strength that each generational cohort brings to the team? So for instance, the builder generation brings uh, sage wisdom and fierce loyalty. My gosh, they have decades, not years decades of experience under their belt. Why not? And by the way, loyalty, you talk about a loyal generation. Oh my goodness. That's, it's almost never seen today as a 20 something or 30 something, but they're there. They're reliable. They're dependable. They grew up during the great depression, probably in world war II. So hold up a mix. The baby boomers often bring stories and coaching and mentoring because we're, I'm one of them. You are too, Tracy. We're at the tail end, but we're still in there pitching but we've got stories to tell that might help a younger team member avoid a trap that you might fall into. Let's let those boomers play that card as coach. Gen Xers, I have found very often bring contrarian insights. They see the other side. Here's what might go wrong. Not will go wrong, but let's let's make sure we look at all angles. There are much more um, realistic generation than the boomers were back in the day. And they're able to, to, to be, I think, constructively skeptical. Uh, the Xers on our team, that's exactly the role they play. They help us get to our goal by seeing what could go wrong and fixing it before it goes wrong. I love it. 
Millennials, oh my gosh, millennials listening, please forgive us. We've thrown you in under the bus for 15 years now. I'm sorry, but we believe, I believe, Tracy and Chris, they have so much to offer. They often bring confidence and energy and hope. They're still in the first half of their career and they're still usually pretty optimistic about what they can pull off. Even though they may not be optimistic about the rest of the world, they're still optimistic about their career and what they can do. That's helpful. We need that energy at the table. And then finally, Generation Z, who is just now entering their career, they're graduating and moving from backpack to briefcase. They bring a hacker mindset that's not just about technology. It's they're getting behind the system and figuring out how everything works. Uh, And then they bring an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know if you guys know this, but in the book, I talk about how 72% of high school students today want to be an entrepreneur. Seven out of 10. Now, they're not all going to concede, or, uh, succeed, that's, 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 but that spirit, oh my gosh, what a great thing to have on a team. So what if an organization could have that spirit on the teams with a gig economy built right within the workplace where we're starting here and starting projects here and there, and we're letting Gen Z play a role on those. They're going to be especially good at that. And the innovation they bring is through the roof. That's at least what we have found. So anyway, there's a quick skinny on how we might, I don't want to stereotype in a positive way here, but that's usually what these generational cohorts bring to the table if we'll let them bring it. Also in the book, you talk about uh, something we've heard all our lives, and that is a recognition of a gap between generations where we we tend to, to just misunderstand, or like you said, we could stereotype, but what are some ways that we can narrow the gap and, yeah. and make it more amenable? I would start, I'm going to assume that I'm talking to people that are interested in leadership or perhaps they're already leaders. I think the first uh, thing or first action step that I would take if I were in charge of something with multiple generations was clarify the communication norms and the expectations. I found that every generation or really every person for that matter comes in with different expectations on this is what the reality is going to be like. And if you have a brand new young Gen Z team member, that's really never had a full-time job. They've had part-time jobs, but not full-time. They might expect something that you need to say right up front. I I can tell you right now, we're never going to do that. Or boy, we're going to have to adjust in order to do that. But thanks for letting us know. So when we clarify expectations, that helps. I, I share a theory in the book. I think that conflict arises based on the distance between expectations and reality. In other words, the wider the gap between the more the conflict we're inviting onto the team. Here's a good example, Tracy uh, and Chris. Uh, If I tell my wife I'm going to be home at seven o'clock for dinner and I get home at seven oh five, not a big deal. I get home at nine oh five. We're going to have a little conversation. (laughs) And it's not because my wife can't live without me for two hours. It's because she expected something different. That's what we got to manage. We got to manage expectations. Now, communication norms. You probably have heard these stories. Maybe you've witnessed these stories, but a millennial or a Gen Z might prefer to communicate with each other on social media platforms. Uh, Another's texting and another send send me an email. And then the boomer might go, hey, come into my office, talk to me face to face. I'm making this up, but I'm just saying you need to clarify what's the way we communicate here or two ways. Maybe it's not really firm, but I just think um, we can get... We can become floods rather than rivers 
because we're just everywhere and we're trying to please everybody. And we just need to say, while you're here between nine and five, this is the best way on Slack or text message or whatever to communicate. I think that would be an action step. I would try to clarify right up front. It seems to me that there should be some, that the flexibility is going to play a role into this. So I think leaders today are realizing we're in a kind of a different space right now in the workplace. Um, Quiet quitting is happening. Uh, The great resignation has happened in almost every industry. Uh, I'm here today at a huge um, educational conference and teachers are walking out of the job. They're going, I don't think I can do this emotionally expensive job anymore. So, and they're not bad people, but we need to navigate and be flexible. So I have a chapter in the book that I really had fun writing. I learned as I wrote, I think we need to manage. um, I just mentioned expectations. I think we need to manage um, demands and there should be a difference between expectations and demands. But then we need to manage what are the assumptions that they might have about this workplace. So when you begin to talk in an interview, let's say, and you find out that somebody's making a demand, you might be able to say, wow, that's that's really heavy. Do you feel really strongly about that? If it wasn't that, would you still want the job or or should we stop right now? You know, that's a fair question to ask. If it is a demand, you owe it to them to say, I don't want to waste any more of your time or my time. Let's just end right now. I wish the best for you, but you need to find an organization that's going to be able to do what you're demanding. But sometimes people don't know and they make it like it sound like a demand, but they go, no, I guess I just have that as a wish. It's a preference, but it's not really a demand. You follow me on that? Those kinds of things are happening more and more in job interviews as I talk to employers than probably ever before. Gen Z team members bring to an interview a high sense of anxiety but a high sense of agency. Hmm. And there's a big, those are huge differences. We all know what anxiety is. We see this almost everywhere we go, but the high sense of agency is, Hey, I've been on my smartphone and I know about this company. I've done my homework. I know about you. I know the dirt on you. And so they might bring a, a sense of, Oh my gosh, they're asking for the moon here at this workplace. And we just need to be ready for, for what's coming. So that would be my expectation versus assumption versus preference versus demand uh, that I cover in that particular, in that too. You know what? Let me tell you a story. Um, I just thought of a great story that I put in the book that I think might bring this home. It's a fast food restaurant that we all know. Uh, Maggie was the hiring manager and Antonio was a new team member that was interviewing right there in the restaurant over a Coke. And as they're doing the Q&A, Maggie starts realizing, I think I want to hire this guy. He's in his 20s, but he's he's got some experience. He's very gregarious. Seems like he'd be great at the cash register. So Maggie starts getting into the core values and some of the policies of this restaurant. One of the policies is no tattoos or piercings. Now, to some, that would be very antiquated. But for this particular brand, they just felt like that might be off-putting to some of our older customers. Let's just not have those. Well, Antonio goes to the interview, gets hired. It's not until three or four weeks into his job that Maggie happens to be on the same shift and sees this huge blaring tattoo on his right arm. Well, you can imagine she's disappointed. I talked to you about this in the job interview, she said later in the back room. Why didn't you tell me? Well, Antonio feels attacked 
this is my very identity. You're questioning my, my tattoo is part of my identity. And I don't mean to sound like an old fogey here, but you can see these two arguments. You weren't honest with me. I talked about this. You're questioning my very person. I can't believe you won't let me be myself. Okay. So they go, they have three different meetings and all of them kind of reach an impasse until Maggie puts on an extraordinary act of leadership at the fourth meeting that ended up getting a standing ovation from the entire team. She calls Antonio in and she acknowledges, Antonio, we've not had good conversations. These have been hard to have. I just want to let you know, I know they've been hard for you as well. I'm so sorry. And I also want you to know, Antonio, I want to lose you. You're a great team member, but you weren't honest with me at the job interview. Let's brainstorm what you and I think we should do together to make this right. And do you know what they did? The two of them got in front of the entire team, standing together, both offered an apology for their attitudes. And Maggie said to everybody, Antonio's a good team member, isn't he? Yes, he is. We don't want to lose him, do we? No, we don't. And then Maggie said, so here's what I think I want to do. Antonio's going to stay on the team, but he's going to wear a long sleeve shirt. The policy's still in place. So I'll call corporate and I'll ask. Maybe in the future we'll change it. But for now, we want to keep Antonio, but we want to keep our, you know, our brand. Standing ovation from the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. And I think it was her valuing people, Mm -hmm. but yet somehow maintaining the core value. I just think Maggie deserves a trophy for that for yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Powerful, powerful story. It also sounds a little bit like one of your phrases, flexible without giving in. You know, she she had to be yeah. flexible and engage in deep dialogue. Yeah. Um, maybe could have listened yeah. more earlier, asked the right questions, uh, but uh, flexible without giving in, that's a healthy equilibrium that we all need, isn't it? I think so, especially today, for sure. Well, you've given in the book, there's lots of, of activities you can do as a team. So could we popcorn just some of those, just some, some ideas, yeah. that, some practice? My favorite one is reverse mentoring. Uh, Tracy, you and I have talked about this in the past. It's just so fun. Um, so the origin of reverse mentoring, you can probably listeners tell, oh, this is a weird thing, you know, a reverse thing. Um So reverse mentoring was actually originated, as far as my research shows me, way back in the 90s when Jack Welch was the CEO of General Electric, major company, still is in America. He was noticing that he had his older executives who were in their 50s and 60s that wanted to do things the old way. But if you remember, in the 1990s, computers were kind of a new thing in the workplace. So we were all having to get used to the PC or or whatever. Well, his old Veterans weren't, want, weren't wanting to do the computer. They said, I got a pad of paper and a pen. I'm doing fine. So here's what he did. He had his older seasoned executives and his young MIT grads that were coming into the workforce that totally got technology, you know, and he matched up the older with the younger, you know, kind of like the modern elder and the young genius, you know, and he put them together. And like I said, in the last podcast, they swapped stories But then the old shared out of their experience, here's how to win at this company. But then they would take off the mentor hat and put on the mentee hat Mm. and say, I'm going to need you to coach me up on this computer. How do I turn this on? You know, that sort of thing. (laughs) But rich because they both had to eat humble pie, which is hard sometimes, swallow their ego 
and meat in the middle. Well, friendships were created between this man that probably could be grandpa and this son or daughter that could be grandson or granddaughter. It was so rich. The winds were multiple, not just learning, but multiple winds. And so we're using the term that Chip Conley came up with, Tracy, in our office now. The older veterans, we call ourselves mentors. <laughs> we're mentors and interns. I love it. That's what I got to be. That's what I got to be, a mentor. So anyway, I, I, if that's helpful, listeners, use it. Maybe well, you know, it will help you make it to the day. I, re- I remember a time just in the last couple of years uh, working with the next generation on worship teams and being a keyboard player, uh, got a brand new yeah. Nord keyboard, you know, and, and uh, it had, it looks like an airplane cockpit. And I mean, I'm just a dumb old piano player with the, you know, so I remember I, I could show him how to play some things musically, but I'm like, man, can you navigate me through the cockpit of this ground? Yes. And it's been a wonderful thing. I said, and anytime I have a problem, I still have Daniel on the speed dial saying, hey, Daniel, I, I can't just turn it off and turn it back on. What do I do here? You know, <laughs> right. I love you saying that on the air here. It's, it's where I am. But Tracy, I think you and I are secret sauce. I think we got a lot of flaws. I got a lot of flaws, but we're secure enough to say, I don't know it all. Yeah. And I'm willing to learn for someone that could be, you know, it's old enough to be my son or my daughter. Right. Uh, but I think that's key today. Um, we all need to be in a learning. We need to be teachers and learners all the time. Yeah. If we can do that, there's for us and never, in the and future. never stop being either of those and both of those in, yes. in each of our roles and positions. What are some right. what are some closing comments that you could give? Some good takeaway suggestions on on people, you know, diving into this book um, and learning from it, yeah. living this out. Well, I would say dive into the book and use it as I've said before as a reference guide. You don't even have to read the whole thing. Maybe just chapters three and seven because you need to learn about Gen Z and boomers or something. I don't know, you know, but it's, it can be best used as a reference guide where you can read about the generational cohort that you most need to learn. How do they best communicate? What do they prefer here? And again, it's not stereotyping, but it's looking at data and saying, here's what's trending. But the other thing I would say is I would ask listeners to consider who do you know at work? Or, for that matter, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your club, at the golf club, whatever, that you could say, I want to I want to set up a consistent coffee time or lunchtime. And um, I'm going to meet with this person and I'm going to ask them questions. Now, if I do this well, they're going to ask me questions too. But I'm going to lead with, I'm a learner here. Remember that? Humility, respect, and curiosity. I do this right now with Andrew on the Growing Leaders team, who is 30 years younger than me, and Cam, who is 40 years younger than me, just graduated from the University of Michigan. So um, every time I'm with them, we end up laughing hard because of what we're learning from each other. And I'm the, I'm the dinosaur sometimes that goes, I can't believe I didn't know this, you know. But um, I want to challenge listeners to take that step. Think of somebody specific, not just a younger generation, hypothetically, and say, could I take you to breakfast or could I take you to coffee? And could we maybe meet a little bit on a regular basis that will keep me fresh and it will keep you wise? So that would be, if I just gave one step, it would be that one and see if uh, that mentor role, uh, discovering that young genius out there might just be your saving grace. Or if you're young listening, find that sage out there that's got some wisdom. They're an elder and you need elders. Um, 
You know why I say this? Uh, I know I'm dragging on here, but I think there's stuff to be learned that's timely and timeless. And I think what we often do is get one or the other. We're either in this, pardon me, but this mad lust for progress that we only get the timely, or we're holding on to stuff from 1972, you know. Well, there is timeless. Some things are not antiquated. They are timeless. We need to make sure we keep them. Uh, Discipline, honesty, work ethic, those are timeless virtues. But yet, to stay timely, I'm going to have to meet with a young person. And I'm going to need to keep learning from my son and daughter and from those young team members. This is the key to making organizations work. So I'll leave you with that. Well, Tim, you have given some very, very specific ways uh, for us to implement becoming a better organization by embracing every generation. And I so appreciate uh, your work in this. And I'm still learning. I love that. I get up every morning and I'm learning right there alongside you. So thank you so much for that. Would you do us a favor? Tell us how people can uh, get a copy of the book, how they can yeah. connect with you and how we can listen to you because you're in just about every venue possible. Would you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. So there is something free that everybody might like to take advantage of. It's a free assessment where you can actually test your generational fluency mm-hmm. with all four or five generations in the workplace. So if you if everybody simply went to newdiversitybook.com, newdiversitybook.com, it'll take you to the free assessment. You'll take there's 41 questions. You'll get a report back. Hey, you're doing well with Gen Z, not so good with Gen X or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, you can grab the book there, too. It's discounted with lots of extras, but um, that would be the best place to go. And then, of course, Growing Leaders um, is the organization I lead with our Habitudes are and other books as well. We'd love to serve anybody that would like our help uh, along the way. Oh, yeah, we appreciate that. And, and you are helping many people. Uh, Tracy and I talk about you a lot and, and you've made a positive difference in so many lives and you're continuing to do that. And, and you're just teaching us to invite people of, of so many different ages to sit at the table together, learn from one another and make a positive difference as we're trying to find ways to make our next steps, our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces, is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.